Folks, we have been in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I'm, I'm asked, uh, am I going to continue to go through the Sermon on the Mount? As long as I live, I will go through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. Uh, equivalent, did we put the, yeah, we did, okay. Equivalent retaliation. Equivalent retaliation. Or more commonly known as tit for tat. Tit for tat. It is the infliction of an injury or an insult in return for one that you've suffered. Somebody did something mean to you, so you want to get back at them. And so you take it out on them. That's like the... The McCoys, you know, they have this battle going on for centuries, I think, is what they portray it as. But that's what it is, getting back at this one and this one. This is retaliation for something that you may have done, or may that happen to you and you get back at the other person. Some may even call it revenge. What I'd like to do is just pray right here. Father, as we think about this, These things happen in our everyday life. Somebody doesn't treat us the way we want to be treated and we want to get back at them. Somebody doesn't honor us the way we want to be honored and we want to get back at them. Somebody doesn't respect us or recognize us and there's all kinds of things, Lord. Or maybe they are even hurting us. We want to get back at them. Lord, I pray that today's message would show us what Jesus Christ wants us to do what the God of this universe wants us to do. We pray this in your name. Amen. So a little introduction there, friends. Uh, these are the actions that can be intentional. Uh, they are intentional to punish others because they've done something unpleasant to you. Today, I, I, there is this thing that goes on on Facebook page, recordings of some lady named Karen She gets angry and she vents on all of those people around her. By the way, when I see Karen, I shut the sound off. This is horrible. You wonder what could be so important. Oh, they took the last box of Cheerios or something else. I don't know. I have no idea. And she vents on those people around her and she just lets loose. She acts, folks, as if this world was created for her and only for her. And the rest of you, she's letting stay here for a minute. Folks, some people get so upset over these kinds of things. They believe the world is around them. I was teaching years ago up at Masters University, child development, and uh, I, had, I did that for nine years. Dr. Wayne Mack had asked me to do that. And so I was teaching child development, and there's this thing called magical thinking. If you've not heard of it, it's something that psychology calls the child age where they think everything is about them. You know, they're about three years old, and they think when the person comes in the room, they're coming in for me. When the person leaves the room, they're leaving because I told them to. <laughs> it's all about them. Do you know these folks are still in the magical thinking age? That it's all about them. It has nothing to do with the rest of you. Folks, some people get upset, even at the simplest of things, of not getting their way. They lash out because their safe space respected. How dare you say those things in my safe space? The passage we're going to look at today from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, he's going to show that when we turn to self-serving human thinking, we are completely and totally opposed to him. We are anti-Jesus, if we can put it that way. Jesus is going to debunk the idea of revenge. He's going to debunk the idea of retaliation with some very challenging, and I got to say, folks, it's very challenging thinking. 
that you may have. As I've said in the past, I'm getting in your kitchen. And I don't think you're inviting me over. But that's what we're doing here today. There's this worldly thinking that we need to get rid of, we need to dispense with. And folks, frankly, what Jesus says here may even be and seem to be impossible for us to do. And if I could make one more side comment. Thank you. This is a very practical message. And I hope that you see it as such. And folks, I want you to know this. I don't come as one who doesn't live in this world with you and has their own heart challenged by these things. We're not above. Interestingly, someone answered my email. By the way, each week I send out an email when I'm preaching and I put in the subject what the title of the message is going to be for that next weekend. And somebody wrote back in when they received that email and they said, conviction from a title? Conviction from a title. You are often faced with a predicament of what do I do when someone insults you? Someone takes you down. They, they, do you just let yourself go and let them know what you think about them? That they are trying to harm you, so do you want to harm them back? You know, it's like the guy who cut me off uh, on uh, of Boulevard. I said, wait a minute, this is my street. I pay tax. No. <laughs> we could do that, right? Get angry at those kinds of things. So I ask, how do you respond? I want you to think about it. I believe Jesus is not only going to teach these first century Jews how to handle those kinds of situations. I mean, he doesn't go through every specific situation. He's going to teach this first century Jews, but also 21st century believers. And so uh, would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38? And this is what our Lord had to say. He said, you have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. These are not easy words, folks. I think you would agree with me. These are not easy issues to do in our walk with the Lord in our Christian life. So Jesus starts out with, you have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Where have these first century Jewish people heard this. They're sitting on a mountainside, and and where would they have heard this? By the way, folks, in those days, they didn't carry around the Torah with them. They had it memorized. They knew it. And so when Jesus is saying these words, they know exactly where to go. But I'm going to take you to Exodus chapter 21. I just want you to see, because our Lord is just using what's already been written by Moses. Exodus 21. And in Exodus 21, it says there in verse 23, but if there is any further injury, a point as a penalty for life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. You know, I read that and I think, boy, that's pretty brutal. You know, these people are not very developed. They can't be because they would do that kind of thing. Leviticus chapter 24. And in Leviticus chapter 24, it also mentioned these same kind of things. And in verse 17, it says this, If a man takes the life of a human being, he shall surely be put to death. That's where we get the death penalty. The one who takes the life of an animal 
shall make it good life for life. In other words, if you take the life of an animal, you give another animal in return. If a man injures his neighbor just as he has done, so it shall him. Let's say you're out in the back and you've got your axe and you go like this to cut some wood and the axe flies off and you hit him and you cut his leg off. Well, you've got to have your leg cut off. Oof. Man, that was an accident. That's an accident. Don't I have insurance for that? Verse 20, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured man, so it shall be inflicted on him. That's, that was the rule for the Old Testament. You do what was done to you. You have to give what you were given. Now turn, turn to Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. And verse 21 Last verse of that particular chapter. Deuteronomy 19.21 Thus you shall no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Why did I go through all three of those? Because you needed to see. They're not fooling around. There is something that goes on here. These laws were written in the Old Testament. They were called, when, when I was in seminary, they called it lex taliones. I had no idea what they were talking about. It's just a way of explaining these laws are not just Jewish laws, but they were laws in the world. But lex taliones, it's what I would call tit for tat. You take a leg, you take somebody else's leg. This almost seems and sounds barbaric. Where's Grace. Where's mercy? Friends, in reality, it was written for this purpose. To limit vengeance. To limit the vengeance. Because what happens? They hurt me. I need to get back at them. And I hurt them even more than they hurt me. That's what normally would happen. So it's trying to limit the vengeance that would only go that far. You see, the human heart wants to make sure it gets back at that person, at that offender. How dare you do that to me? Don't you know who I am? That's what they're saying here. And they want to more, get more drastic, inflict more harm and hurt and pain to the other person. That's what they want to do. This, that's normal human conditioning. When someone from your family is injured by uh, another family, the normal way of handling it is to gather your family up. This is in the time of Christ and make them pay. That's called retribution. That is wrong because that's not God's way. And the laws there were to limit how much retribution you would have. And so Lex Talionis is what we would call limiting the reprisal, limiting what you could possibly do to them. The Old Testament has written to the people of God truly is generous, though, in grace and mercy, because we can also find that in the scriptures as well. Leviticus 19.18. Why don't you turn there? That was a great year. It was the year, first year of the influenza. <laughs> Leviticus 19.18, just to keep it in context. <laughs> Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. That's what you're supposed to do here. He's giving them now, instead of taking jins, instead of taking a reprisal against this other person, no, love your neighbor. It says it also in Proverbs 25, 21. You can just jot that down. It says this in Proverbs 21, 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Well, speaking of the enemy, whoever that is, you're supposed to give to them. I don't know for you, but those are both, both of those verses sound very familiar because they're New Testament verses as well. They were used by New Testament writers to tell us how to live. These sound like New Testament passages, and yes, they are. With all this background, why then is this such a big deal to Jesus? Why is he making this such a big deal? 
It is a big deal because the Jews were using this law as a means to harm others. Rather than having the law of love, rather than having the law of grace, rather than having the law of mercy, they were using it to hurt others. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. The law was to be a restraint on on something that could terribly happen. The restraint was on retribution, vengeance, revenge, and payback. The the Jews used insults as an excuse to hurt others. Excuse me. Sinclair Ferguson said this, and this is a quote, clearly the law was to limit and if necessary, restrain retaliation. It was to restrain personal vindictiveness. I remember growing up as a kid. If you did something to somebody, they wanted to get back at you. Usually it wound up in the playground with a fight. Okay, and it usually gets to fisticuffs, you know. Beloved, our Lord and Savior is pointing out that you will not find justice on this earth. Can I, can I, I just want to make sure you're, you're, you will not find justice on this earth. There is no justice. This earth is filled with unbelievers. And you know what? Sometimes you don't even get justice with believers. Sometimes you don't even get justice with believers. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone in particular, but that happens. Our natural human propensity thinks we deserve. I know some of you parents are out there wondering why you didn't get perfect children. They were all used up with my kids. Why didn't I get that perfect spouse? Where, where, where is that perfect spouse? Yeah. Why don't, why don't I have that perfect job? I deserve that. I read my Bible every day. So I deserve to have this kind of stuff. See, that's what happens in our own heart. I'm walking with the Lord and I think I don't deserve to be tempted in anything. I don't deserve that. There's no justice in this world. Our natural human nature believes no one should do anything to us to inhibit our life and our happiness. I think Karen said that. (laughs) Jesus is going to use four examples here, folks. Four examples to his way. What we should do to be more like Jesus Christ. He's going to give us four examples here. And he's going to give us four things to think about. Four principles to follow in order to be like Christ. Even when we're unfairly treated even when we are unfairly taken advantage of. This is how we should be responding. All of these illustrations are culturally sensitive, so we'll keep that in mind as we explain them to you. Yet I believe that these particular examples still have a voice in the 21st century. I still think that they speak to us. The first example we see in verse 30, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Wow. As a new believer, I had trouble with this. I I had trouble with this because I grew up in elementary school fighting nearly every day, having a fight. High school was a little bit better. But nearly every day fighting with somebody about something, and I don't even remember what it was. And now I'm supposed to let them hit me? Well, we'll explain this to you. This example as given by Jesus needs to be fully understood. Folks, it says here to be struck on what cheek? The right cheek. If I was to try to hit somebody on the right cheek, I'd have to do contortions to be able to get to that right cheek, wouldn't I? To give them a good shot. You can't slap the right cheek very easily. Now you say, well, there are left-handers. Can I tell you they were looked down upon? I'm sorry if you're left-handed. They were looked down upon in those days. If you're in my elementary school, yeah, there is a definitely against left-handers, but I still love my left-handers. 
the person then wouldn't be slapping this way. They'd be slapping this way. The backhand. The backhand. It, it wouldn't hurt as much. But you want to know something? The person receiving that would be even more severely insulted. Because he's not even worth a real punch. He's, ugh, get out of here. Get out of here. In the Jewish culture, that, that would be an insulting and degrading thing to do to a person. As a matter of fact, it would be twice as bad to be hit that way than a punch. Because it would be saying that you know, you're not really worth it. I don't need to put in the effort for you. It was insult. And it was certainly more personal insult than an attack. Jesus is teaching that Whatever it is, personal injury or insult, it is not to be taken as an offense easily. That's what Jesus is saying. If someone were to strike you, you want to strike them back. Retaliation, vengeance is running through your mind. It's flashing through the mind. Anger is building up. I need to get back at them. But the scriptures say otherwise. The scriptures say, don't do that. Deuteronomy 32, 35. Why don't you turn there? Deuteronomy 32, 25. Again, all that Jesus has been saying is coming out of uh, Moses' writing. And so the people that are sitting there are listening to this and all of it's going through their mind. And in Deuteronomy 32, 35, it says, vengeance is mine. Who's mine? God. Retribution is in due time. Their foot will slip for the day of their calamity is near. Vengeance is his. He's going to take care of it. Folks, this life is too short compared to eternity. Where am I going to be in eternity? Am I always going to have to have my rights, my way, my things? That, that's extremely selfish. That's not Jesus' way. That's not showing that you're walking with the Lord. That's what he's saying here. Or do I want it his way? I can be taken advantage of. I can be insulted. And it's okay. I let it go. We want to get back. We want to make sure they pay. Apostle knew this. Paul the Apostle, when he's teaching the Roman church, sending a letter off to the Roman church in Romans 12, 19, he says this, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, and it comes right out of Deuteronomy 32, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's got to get him, folks. It doesn't matter. I, I remember people struggling over, that one seems to have gotten out of jail and they should still be in jail. Folks, it, they're going to be in eternal jail. Why, why, why am I going to struggle over if the system lets them out early? I, the only struggle I would have is if they go and kill somebody else or they hurt somebody else. Friends, Jesus is saying, you do not need physical violence to justify you. Just physical violence. Take it down to our level. I, I don't think I would be driving down Roscoe Boulevard and seeing one of you in a fight on the street. I don't think so. But what about our mouth? What about our words? These can be as violent as well. As a matter of fact, they can be even more violent because you can hurt somebody deeply with your words. Jesus is our example, folks. And we need to see where Jesus is the example for us. Because I, I, I don't want to stop there. I want you to understand how he is our example. And he said, you can be holy as I am holy. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. <laughs> I, I, I love this verse. I try to remind myself of this verse in the midst of things. And in 1 Peter 2.23, Peter says this, And while being reviled, he, that is Jesus, did not revile in return, but suffering, 
while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I need my God's justice. I need my God's judgment. He uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. No need for, obviously, tit for tat for here. No need for equivalent retaliation. You don't need to turn there, but jot these down if you want to look at them later. Matthew 26, 63. When Jesus was being attacked and and spoken to, remain silent. When Pilate had him under interrogation, John 19, 9 through 11, this is what happened. He remained silent. Pilate's guards come where Jesus is and they start spitting on him. How many of you could take somebody spitting on you besides my preaching, okay? (laughs) Matthew 27, why don't you turn there? Matthew 27, since you're in that book. It gives you a good picture here of what Jesus did even when he's being attacked. Jesus knew what these guards were going to do. And start in verse 2727. 27. How about that? When the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. First he's naked, then they put this little robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Sometimes you have somebody mocking you. They don't tell you you're king of the Jews, but they tell you you're a fool or this or that. Yeah, they mock you. Verse 30, they spat on him and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put on his his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. I mean, this is the ultimate, folks. None of you are ever going to experience that, but you know what? You did in Jesus Christ. He did that for you. He was your example. Now, I want you to go one other place where Jesus is, where justice is lived out. Isaiah chapter 50, where justice is lived out. Isaiah chapter 50. I, you've got to see this, and it's so wonderful because this is a prophecy of what is going to come. I think this is incredible. And this is where justice lives. And Jesus knew that it lived there. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me. He gave his back, folks. They didn't take it. He gave his back. And my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. He's got his mind. He's entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up for to each other. Who has a case against me? Folks, Jesus knew where justice was. It's in heaven. Folks, your justice is not here. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, I know that some of you are going to come up with other scenarios of of protecting the innocent. And I know that. I know Jesus would want you to protect the innocent. I, I agree wholeheartedly that's what would happen. Yes, if I see somebody trying to hurt a child... I'm going to do something about it. I do the counseling here. If somebody comes in and there's going on, the the authorities are called. No, you can't get away with that. You can't get away with that. Jesus is speaking to you when someone insults you and you retaliate as if you had the right to do that. There is one phrase there that I want you to be careful about. Do not resist an evil person. Please don't take that as an absolute. 
Okay, if you do, you're going to find yourself in some trouble. In this passage, Jesus is saying that standing up for your rights, seeking your dignity, needs to be turned around and having a Christian response to it. Standing up for your rights and and seeking your dignity needs to be turned around and you need to have a Christian response to it. And I know that it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but that's what should be done. There's no need for retaliation because your reputation, okay, with God is intact. That, that reputation is actually going to be even grown because of your responding in a godly way. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on there. He knows your thinking. Do not return insult for insults. Your reputation with God is so much, much more important. I I used to tell my kids, don't worry about what other people think about you. No matter what other people think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. It matters what God thinks about you. Your retaliation also wins no one to the Messiah. Years ago, I had this young boy brought in, 12 years old. He was fighting in the playground every day. I asked him if his name was Bill Shannon. He said no. <laughs> every day. And I asked him, I said, do you tell them that you come from a Christian church? He said, no, no, I tell them I'm a Christian. I said, would you please stop? <laughs> because that's not a very good reputation of a Christian, only for crusaders. The willingness to endure this hurtful insult and then offer the other cheek shows resolve. Resolve not to retaliate. Resolve to realize you are under the control of the Holy Spirit. If I have heard it said that you're most like Jesus Christ when you forgive, I also believe that you are most like Jesus Christ when you can endure abuses graciously. The principle that we have here in the first example, the principle that Jesus is teaching here is that you respond in kindness under duress. The test is whether you are willing to die to self. That's the test. Second example, second example, we see that in verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him also have your coat. Let him have your coat also. Uh, this was a possibility in Israel. This is where it's, we have cultural things here. Yeah, this could happen in Israel. You could take someone to the court of justice and sue for someone's shirt. This is the undergarment that is worn by a Jewish men. They was go down to their ankles. Okay, uh, it was worn in Palestine, uh, uh, and it was made of linen or wool or those kinds of things. If you did egregious act against a brother, you could sue them and take them to court and take their undergarment. I don't particularly like that, but that's what they could do. The cloak was another matter. The cloak was another matter. It was given up, okay? That cloak was given up by the Jew legally, needed to be returned to him by nightfall, if he gave up that cloak. Why? Because that's what the man slept in. That was his covers for sleeping. Those were his blankets. So never touch the blankie. That's what we have here. Do not touch that. So that's what we have here is you could take the shirt undercoat. If you take the cloak, you've basically left that person virtually naked. Exodus twenty two twenty six says this, if you ever take a cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets. Obviously, it gets a little bit chilly when the sun sets. They didn't have much, folks. They had, they had the undercoat, they had, they had the cloak, and those are bedclothes, and that's not much there. Jesus is using some exaggeration here to his point. 
I think that sometimes uh, of when I reach in my closet, oh, it's chilly out today. Am I going to get this one here? Is it going to be chilly later? I got four different coats that I can pick from. Oh, let's get the short sleeve coat today. Well, let's, you know, oh, I need one with a hood. You know, you've been in that same closet. I know you have. How much we have to choose from, they did not. Jesus is pointing out that our eternal justice is more significant than earthly justice. Eternal justice is more significant than earthly justice. You may be able to take all you have. They may be able to take all you have. They may be able to sue you into poverty. But you are still rich, folks. You are still rich because you have the promise of eternal life. Let them take it all. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You still have eternal life. We need to trust in the promises of God, not in the frivolous. The frivolous is the everyday things. The natural man says, I have my rights. I I do not deserve to be treated this way. The way of Christ is servanthood. What is it, Mark 10.45? Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he came to do, folks. He came to give his life. I, I think of Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Think more highly of others. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who gave up his humanity, who gave up his, uh, his deity in heaven to come and to live on earth. Gave up his life. The, th- the principle here, folks, that Jesus is teaching is that we give the shirt off our backs for others. We, we do whatever we can to, to serve others, to help others. And obviously that's within limits and this next example here is going to give us those limits. The test is whether you are willing to die to self. That's what it comes down to. Am I willing to die to myself? The third example found in verse 41, that's back in Matthew. Verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Seems very simple. By the way, this is not your high school track coach telling you to run another mile. That's, that's not what this is. It has nothing to do with a high school track coach forcing you to go to another mile. My high school track coach always forced us to go more. This particular example has real-life significance in Jesus' day. The Jewish people were under subjugation. The Romans were there. The Romans had all control of the area. The soldiers of Rome could force a human, uh, uh, could force a Jewish person to pick up their armor and carry it for them for a mile. Maybe their supplies, maybe their food, whatever it was, they they could they could force them to do that for one mile. Jesus is now. They compel you to go one mile. Go with them too. Go take that extra mile. Be with them. In other words, the believer or the the follower of Christ is willing to go the extra mile. Why? Because it's going to make an impact on the unbeliever's life. That's what you're here for, folks. You're supposed to be gospel billboards. They're supposed to be able to see Jesus Christ in you. They're supposed to be able to see the, the Lord working in your life, and this is a way to do that. So you have that guy, the, the or gal at, at your office, and they're really nasty, and they make you do this, and they make you do that. Go back to them and say, is there anything else I can do for you? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Whoa. <laughs> what an opportunity. Jesus is now saying, compel you to go one mile, go with them. Two. In other words, the believer should be willing to go the extra mile, folks. If we want to make an impact, we should go the extra mile. When uh, I did get saved, and I was still in the same industry that I was in, I began to tell the folks that I was calling on that I was a Christian, and this is what would happen. This is what I'm, I'm living for. <laughs> Some situations became quite interesting. 
Um, I went into one design company and they said, oh, Michael became a, a deacon in his church. Now, Michael was a homosexual. So I, I know that the gal was trying to get me to go crossway with Michael. So I just went up to Michael. So Michael, Kathy tells me that you're a Christian, a, a, a deacon in your church. What does that mean? Do you know what he said immediately? It's not like your church. Uh, I know that, Michael. <laughs> what does it mean? He said, I'm just a social guy. I'm just a guy who pulls all the social events together. Go the extra mile. They know who you are and they don't treat you wrongly. The second mile can be used for God's purposes, folks. That's what I'm trying to get across. The purposes of evangelism. You want that gospel message to get out there. We have a dying world around us. I mean, that's dying faster and faster and faster. I mean, it it just is getting dumber and dumber and dumber. The second mile can be used to show others that you're willing to serve. I did that with some of my customers when I said, they, you what? I said, I'll pray for you. And of course, the next time I go in there, I ask them, I prayed for you on this particular situation. They love that. You actually prayed for me. They don't understand that. Serve others. Be willing to serve. Serve like Jesus Christ. He was willing to serve. And you serve even if nothing, there's no reward. It's not like birthday where you give a birthday gift to this person and they give you a birthday present. It's not like that. You just give. Luke 23, 26 is a picture of this particular situation of going the mile because, or I should say, of the Roman authorities taking advantage of you. And it says there, when they led him away, that's Jesus, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, come country, and placed him on the cross, placed on him a cross to carry behind Jesus. So he had to carry that load, and he carried it for Jesus. Here's a suggestion, that when you see the authorities serving our community, thank them. The police, the fire, the EMTs, the hospital people, they need to be thanked. I got to go in the hospital for the first time since covid on Monday. First time. Usually that's, yeah, you can't get in. You can't get in. Somebody was passing away. I was able to get in. Thank you. I mean, they, they're in a position they can't do that. So here we are. We want to make their job easy. We want to make them, we want to be helpful to them. Go the extra mile. The principle that Jesus is teaching here is that you go the extra mile. The test is whether you're willing to die to self. Isn't that what it comes down to each and every time, if you haven't noticed that? Willing to die to self. The fourth example, we find that in verse 42. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. I I trouble with that. I trouble with that. I mean, just anybody comes up to me and they want to borrow money from me, I just give it to them. Now there's obviously. Jesus is saying that a loan may potentially need to turn into a gift. And you need to remember that when you make a loan to somebody, that it's going to turn into a gift. In other words, when they even come into money, they may not return to you. When a homeless person, I just want to get to some specifics here. When a homeless person asks for money, am I obligated to give to them? Folks, if you think you are, they will be lined up outside your house. They will be there every day, all day long. But if a homeless person asks for money, I I want to use an example from this lady. This lady had a homeless woman come up to her, and she said she needed money for food. And this homeless, this uh, Christian lady said to her, well, what, what do you, do you need food? Do you need a lunch? She said, yes. What do you like? Tuna, turkey, whatever. 
She goes back in the store and buys a sandwich for her and brings it out. And she sits down with her. And she talks to her about making good choices. She talks to her about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Encourage that person. Feed them. That's okay. Now, what if an intoxicated or a lazy person comes and asks you for money? Our Lord does not encourage us to support the drunk. I'm sorry. He does not encourage us to support the person who's unwilling to work. He doesn't do that. But if there are folks that are in the body of Christ here that need help because of various circumstances, they can come to the church. We have it set up that way that you can come and you can ask if you can get some deacons fund help. If you can't make the rent, certainly those kinds of things. That's why we take an offering for that so that you can help folks that are in the body rather than just giving. Now, why do we do that? Because years ago, there was a woman, I'm going to say it was a woman, who was a professional moocher. That's what she was. And she went to all the fellowship groups and went to different Bible studies and all of this. And uh, I sat down with Bill Snyder. Bill Snyder's been in heaven for 15 years. But Bill and I sat down and we started to count up how much money she got. All the, I mean, it came out to $25,000 in six months. That's how much she mooched. You people are generous. <laughs> people are generous. And we said, no, we, we need to make sure that they hear about the deacon's fund so they come there. And that's why we'd rather have people come that way so that we can check, okay, it's not everybody should be giving to them. Not everybody. We don't want to help the professional moocher. How do we know that? First John. First John chapter 3. chapter 3, it says this, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Yes, that's your brother. That's your brother. Not the professional moocher. That's your brother. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Yeah. Not willing to work, you don't eat. Folks, yes, we are to help those who need. Years ago, we used to give food out right from our uh, office here. We don't do that anymore. We just take there and send somebody to their home now. Okay. But a fellow came and he was there and the pastors used to have to come down and, and they have to give them the gospel. Well, they didn't have to give them the gospel. We could just give them the food. But I would go down and we'd give them the gospel. And, and, uh, then, and then he says, yeah, I, I'm really, I don't have anything. Can I, can I have two or three bags? So I, I, get them in my hands and, oh, no, no, I'll take them out. You don't need to, uh, no, no, I'll take them out there for you. Took them out to his car. It was a brand new BMW. (laughs) I had trouble putting it in the trunk of his brand new BMW. I mean, it was, it may have been stolen, yeah. (laughs) I mean, my heart at that point just went, woof. I mean, I just wanted to give him a piece of my mind. How dare you? And I'm coming to Warshaw, who was here years and years and years ago. Fred looks at me and says, there's something wrong. <laughs> I said, yeah, there's something wrong. He said, Bill, is that your food? I said, you know what? You're right, Fred. It's not mine. God is doing this for a purpose, and I have no idea. I have no idea. But we still don't want professional moochers. How do we know? The other side of Scripture warns us against lending. It warns us against borrowing. And it warns us against surety. We see that in Proverbs. I'm not going to go there. I don't have enough time. But Proverbs eleven fifteen, Proverbs 22, 7, Proverbs 27, 13. It tells us to be careful about doing those things. You know what? That's God's money. Haggai 2, 8 says... All the silver is mine and all the gold is mine. It's his. 
We need to use common sense. Let's put it that way. In a plot example here. If your family has needs, why are you giving to someone else? Take care of your family's needs. How can you give when your family may have to now not have? Folks, the other thing is this. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 where it says, you know, if you don't work. Everywhere I go, there's a sign, help wanted. I'm almost wondering, you know, should I get another job? No, I'm only kidding. (laughs) But folks, there's so many jobs out there. At least it seems that way. The principle that Jesus is teaching here is that you sacrifice for others. You can do that. The test is whether you're willing to die to self. So looking at this whole section here of Matthew chapter 5, this is the preaching of Jesus here. It is, this is not Jesus' time, not just for the first century. Those Jews are lounging on the hillside. But he's speaking to their hearts about their daily life. This message speaks to our hearts about our daily life. So I ask the question, is he speaking to you? Is he speaking to you? Is he asking you the question, what is the greatest importance in your life? If we truly take a deep dive, folks, the answer we come up with, and I'm going to say it for myself, will be self. If we make truly a deep dive, we certainly have to come up with self. I care too much about myself. I care too much about myself. My Lord and Savior is pointing to the selfless Messiah. The scriptures are pointing to the selfless Messiah, giving of himself. Lloyd-Jones said this, when we are unhappy, when we are unhappy, we are looking at self, thinking about self, and not communing with God. Whoa. Whoa. It's like right between the eyes. You're right. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you live this life, folks, with self in the foreground, everything else must learn to serve you. Everything else. You know, the computer that doesn't act fast enough for you? Uh, You know, the, the punching the wrong number or whatever, that's supposed to serve you or... Why is it so much traffic on the freeway today? I need to get there. Everything else has to serve you. But that, that does not work in God's economy, folks. You need to put the love of God first. The love of others second. That's the greatest commandment. Love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And love others. As you already Love yourself. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this message through your dearly beloved son. Thank you for him and his sacrifice for us. Taking the punishment that we so readily deserve because of our selfishness, our self-look. It's even interesting that in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, they're running around naked. As soon as there's the fall, they start to hide themselves because they want to protect themselves. And so that's our deepest problem, Lord. Help us overcome that grace in your name. Amen.